rest of you will be in Titus chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we had talked about uh, 2 Thessalonians. We've been in that for a couple of Sundays. We'll finish 2 Thessalonians tonight at 6 o'clock, chapter 3, talking about prayer. But this morning the Lord uh, led me to Titus chapter 2. So you turn in your Bible there. It's right after Timothy. First uh, and 2 Timothy, you'll find it there before Hebrews, Philemon. And when you find it, let's stand together. We're going to read a few verses. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 11. We're going to talk today, if you haven't already uh, gathered it up, about grace this morning. God's grace. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, whom gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Let's pray together. Lord, bless your word for us today in this place and speak to every heart that is here. Lord, save someone today. Restore someone today. Call someone into your service today. Do your mighty works in this place, Father. We surrender to that. We invite you to come, and Father, we have been singing to you and about you, and Lord, now we would love to hear from you, and we pray that today in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Our final days, you know, we all have a limited amount of time on this earth, and each of us has a day set in stone. We cannot change that. We cannot alter it. We can only uh, surrender to it. God has our days ordained. We don't know how long that would be, but so because of that, we all have a, a limited amount of time left. Some of us less than others. But the case is for each of us that we have a set amount of days left. I pray that you would learn this morning what God would ask you to do in the remainder of your life. Okay, what he would want you to be, what he would want you to accomplish and do. We're going to hopefully learn about that this morning. Uh, we're talking about grace, as I said. It says in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. And so we want to discuss grace a little bit. What is that? It's really uh, a church word. We don't often use that in our secular circles unless we're naming a little girl. And we don't really talk about grace outside of the church much. But for your information today, let's dissect grace a little bit. What grace is, is God's undeserved favor on you. We, we call that in the church unmerited favor. It's God giving you something that you do not deserve. All right, that, that's grace. We, we do not deserve this gift that God gives us. It's key to the Christian belief. It's an important, James read a very important verse that says, by grace we are saved. Not something that we do, but by God's grace does he save us. And so we want to know more about that, don't we? We want to dig in and understand what this grace is. We don't deserve it, of course. 
rather, we deserve God's judgment. And you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I, I may not deserve God's judgment. Yes, you do. You have broken God's commands. God gave us these commands uh, in the Old Testament to live by. And the Bible teaches us that all of us have broken those. So we are on the edge of a precipice, so to speak, that David taught us in Sunday school this morning. We do not even realize how close we are to falling into eternal separation from God. But because of His grace, He reaches down to rescue each of us that would believe. That's God's favor. That's God's grace. That's what He wants to do for men today. Not all men receive that. You have to believe it in order to receive it. You have to understand that you're a lost. You have to understand that you're on the edge of a precipice falling into hell before you will hear that call of grace and turn and take it. But all men are on that edge. All men are in that position. And so God's grace has been offered to mankind to rescue them, to save them. Now, grace gets polluted. We put it into the hands of men and we pollute grace. And, and what I mean by that is we, we take grace and we do things with it that are not biblical. Uh, in fact, grace is really counter to the way the world operates today. You and I grew up in a society where you are uh, rewarded for your work. You're rewarded in school for making good grades. You're rewarded for being on a sports team by performing well or better than others. And so you make the team. And all of our society really is based upon a merit system that carries into college, that carries into life after school, and you get out into the workplace and you perform. How many of you or any of you were you ever hired on a probationary period of time? Okay, when they would hire you on, but they're going to be watching you and measuring you and, and seeing how you perform, and if you don't match up, you're out the door. Or if you don't match up, you don't get a raise. That's all based upon this miscued look of grace. God's grace doesn't operate like that. It doesn't operate in our business world. It doesn't operate like that in our schools. It doesn't operate like that in team sports and so forth and so on. God's kingdom does not operate on the merit system. In fact... God's kingdom takes those who are unmerited and makes them worthy. It takes those who are weak, as Nathaniel said, and makes them strong in the kingdom of God. So understand, the church should not operate on a merit system. The church should not operate because it is in the kingdom of God. So that's one way that we uh, pollute grace in our world today is by taking it and, and doing something opposite of it. it. You know what? That even falls into Christian, uh, not Christianity, into world religions. All of the world religions besides Christianity, biblical Christianity, base their uh, heaven on merit. You take the Catholic denomination or the Catholic church. They want to add Jesus to works, or they want to add works to Jesus. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Only in Christianity, biblical Christianity, do you find grace really working. 
All other religions want to add works to their Jesus to get you to heaven. In fact, the Catholic Church will talk about purgatory. Anybody heard of purgatory in that realm of religion? Yeah, and a lot of people, most people go, when they die, they go to a place called purgatory. And in purgatory, in the Catholic Church, you end up suffering because you didn't suffer enough in this world, and you end up uh, being purged of sin in this purgatory place. And one day when you're there long enough and you've been purged enough and you've been suffering enough, then you might be worthy or have enough merit to enter into heaven. So purgatory is like a second stage of going to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach us that. It says that it is appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. So there's not a second chance or another place to go to do other things in order to get to heaven. So Grace gets polluted by men in their thinking of merit-based advancement, and it gets polluted by the church in the same way as a merit-based entrance into heaven. Now, it also, on the flip side of that, grace gets mistaken because some people in the church want to say, well, I'm under grace, so now I can go out and live like I want to to live and do what I want to do because God's given me grace and he will forgive my sin because that's his job. And the Bible calls that a license to sin or licentiousness. All right. I I can go out and do what I want because God's going to forgive me. And you know, a lot of people in the church kind of behave like that and they kind of depend upon that grace in order to get into heaven. And you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that you can go out and do what you want to do. The Bible teaches you're not your own anymore. You've been bought at the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you are not yours anymore. You are His. And so to think that you can get heaven and uh, get Christ in your life, put Him in your pocket, and then go out and do what you want to do in the world, you've got a mistake. You've mistaken what grace is. You've mistaken what Christianity is. I hope today that we get to clear both of these problems up. Now, if a person is bent that way towards grace in the church and a license to sin, if you talk to them about the commandments of God, they want to call you, oh, you're a legalist. Oh, you're a legalist. Or if they, if you try to talk to somebody about their sin who feels this way, and they want to say, listen, I'm not under law anymore, I'm under grace. They have a misconception of what God's grace is. So today, let's clear it up, all right? Uh, We're going to look at what grace is. Grace does a couple of things in Paul's text this morning. Grace saves us, and then it instructs us. So grace is not just for saving you, grace is for teaching you. Grace is for helping you to understand how God wants you to live. If you didn't have that grace, you wouldn't know how to respond as a Christian. So it's by God's favor, by God's blessing, by God's grace to us that first He saves us out of the world, rescues me from that pit of hell, and then He pulls me back from there, and then He teaches me by His grace how I should live. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't know how to live. But God's grace does both of these this morning. So God's grace brings salvation to all people, it says in verse 11. Now, understand this. That doesn't mean that all people will be saved. 
All right? What that means is that God's grace has appeared, and that appearance brings salvation available to all men. All right? And let's think about that a minute. Uh, John, the famous apostle, uh, said this in his uh, letter or his gospel. He said this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, what appeared? God's grace? It's more like who appeared? Jesus appeared, who is the grace of God. John 1.17 says this, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So God could have sent Jesus to judge the world. We were all guilty, amen? We were in our guilt as breakers of God's commandments. But instead of sending Jesus to judge us, He sent Jesus to save you, to step in for you, to rescue you. That's God's grace. He could have judged you, but instead He wanted to offer grace to you. So He made available this salvation to all men. It is available to all of mankind, to all people, to be saved. The Bible teaches that there is a broad way to destruction and a narrow way to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. It says there are many who will go down this broad way. There are few who will go up this narrow path to life. So let me ask you this morning, which path are you on? Well, you want to say, I'm on the narrow path to life, but are you really? Are you living that narrow life? Are you living the life that God has for you personally to live? Or are you in a, just an open-range situation where all is run and gun, all spur and no rain? Amen? A lot of people live like that. And that's not the narrow way to God. That's the wide way to destruction. And so I want to teach you this morning and hope that you gather up from this scripture how God would want you to live under His grace. Like I said a moment ago, God's grace must first be believed. If it were given to all men without believing, then it would not be grace. It would be based upon merit again. But because you have to hear the message and receive the message, now it can be by God's grace that you are saved because you have received God's message. What's the major hindrance to a man receiving God's grace? For me, 34 years of my life, I was a believer that God existed, but I was not a recipient of His grace. I believed He was there. I never doubted that there was a Creator God, but I was not under His grace. I was under my self-righteousness. I was under the assumption that I could be a good man. I could do better than my next-door neighbor over here, and I could get into heaven. Or I could do better than some of them Christians down there at that Baptist church I'm better than a lot of them down there. I could get into heaven because I'm a good 
person or I'm better than those. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we were all under sin. We were all guilty of sin. We were all headed to that place called hell. But God's grace was extended. Now, how do I, how do I know that? I heard it. The Bible says it comes by hearing. Somebody told me about Jesus. I just didn't dream him up in my head. I just didn't think about this and it just came to me that Jesus was the answer. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Somebody told me about it. Somebody's told you about it. Somebody's told every one of us in this room about Jesus. For heaven's sake, we're in the middle of the Bible belt. We know about Jesus. But some of you have not received him. Some of you still think you're going to get there because you're good. Because you're better than so-and-so. Or you have good works or you give to charity. For a man to be saved, he first must know he's lost. Amen? In order to be saved, you've got to know that you're lost. And you are guilty and that you are on the edge of eternity separated from everything that's good and anything that is holy and right. If you still think, though, that you're going to make it on your own, you'll never cry out for the Savior of your soul. Look what Jesus said in Luke 5. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who's the righteous in that verse? The self-righteous. Jesus can't call a self-righteous man because he thinks he's okay. He thinks he's good enough. He's not measuring himself up to what the Bible says. For any of you who might feel that way, you need to take your eyes off of your neighbor. God's not comparing you to your neighbor. God's not comparing you to the preacher down at Aaron Springs Baptist Church. God's not comparing you to anyone else except His Son. If you can live like His Son lived, then the Bible says you can get in. Okay? If you can live without sin, not starting today, starting when you were born. Okay? You don't get to start today. you got to start when you were born. Somebody's going to pay for all that sin in your past. You might be able to be sinless from today on. I doubt it, but you can think you might. But you're going to pay for all that sin in your past. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So somebody's going to pay for that sin of your past. Who might that be? Would you pay for me, anybody here? Would you give your life to pay for my sin? No givers, no takers? Okay, because I probably wouldn't pay for you either. But you know what? Jesus said, I will. I'll pay for him. Thank you, Jesus. I'll step in his place and I'll give my life to pay for him. And you know what? He did that for every one of us in this room. Every one of us. People will go and fall off of that pit into hell with their sin paid for. Jesus paid for it, but they would not receive 
the grace that was given to them. They wouldn't receive the message. They wouldn't believe it because they thought they were good enough to get in on their own. That's the biggest hindrance of a man being saved. Now, if you were standing in line at a bank, let's just make an illustration. If you were in line at a bank and, and uh, you were waiting to deposit some money or whatever, and I ran into the bank and I grabbed you by the arm and I started dragging you towards the door and you were kicking and screaming and, and I was hollering at you, we got to get out of here, and we got outside and man, you are ready to go to fisticuffs with me for dragging you. Not only did I rip your shirt and scratch your skin, but you lost your place in line in the bank. And we get outside and you say, what do you think you're doing? And I say this to you. I saw a band of bank robbers and terrorists pull up in the parking lot and they're ready to bust in that door and break into that bank and kill everybody and rob the money. Then you might change your mind about how you feel about me. In fact, what you didn't know was about to happen could have taken your life probably would have taken your life. But because somebody came and told you that it was coming and that it was at the edge of that moment to happen, now you are lifelong grateful to that person. That's what salvation is. You are on the edge of eternal damnation and you don't know it. But somebody comes to drag you away from that and tell you about it. And now, all of a sudden, you become a lifelong fan of that one who told you. Jesus. That's what he's done. That's what he wants to do. Won't you do that today? God tells us that that is what grace is. He extends that to us. We can appreciate it. But we have to know that we are on that edge of judgment. Our hands are tied, the ropes around our neck, and there's nothing we can do to get out of that situation. Except for the devil to pull the lever and down we go, hanging ourselves because we would not receive the gift, free gift, by the way, of God, His grace. Now, grace saves us, all right? Now, grace also instructs us. Look in verse 12 instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. Your Bible might say soberly there. To live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That word instructing in verse 12 is really, in the Greek, it means to train a child, to, to teach them, to discipline, to correct them. Uh, the Bible calls all of that process for Christians sanctification. God saves us, and now He wants to put good in us. You know, that, that's not the problem for God. Well, nothing's a problem for God. The problem with us is that it's not difficult to put the good in. I, I can read and be taught what's good and, and know what I need to do. The problem with me was getting the bad out. Okay, the problem with us is not putting the good in, it's getting the wrong out. That's why Paul says that grace teaches us to deny godliness. All right, it's something that has to be removed from us, this 
godlessness, ungodlessness, this way of thinking, this way of living that we have become used to, the things that we do that we are familiar with, the way that we uh, act, the way that we dress, the places we go, the words we say, all of that has to be taken out. The good can come. Yeah, I like the good, but we fight him on giving up the bad. Amen? We have a program here at our church called Celebrate Recovery. Why do we need to have Celebrate Recovery? Because we have difficulty giving things up. And we need somebody to help us and show us how to do that. We need God to show us and teach us how to deny these things. So we have this program, Celebrate Recovery. It helps you to deny and get rid of those wrong things in your life. And that's what God desires. Jesus said this in uh, Luke chapter 9. And he was saying to them all, if anyone, who? If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us do that. Grace comes to save us. Now grace wants to teach us. And how does God do that? He puts the Holy Spirit in us. All right? The Holy Spirit resides in us. And He begins to help us and shape us and form us and instruct us. In fact, it's not just a, a, an action that He's after. He's after my thoughts. The Holy Spirit wants to elevate God in my life. He wants me to think about God. He wants me to include God. He wants me to read the Word. He wants me to study the Bible. He wants me to attend church. Why? Because all of those are putting good in and bad out. I remember that when Gail and I were saved, I thought, you know, I, I went to church and I, I began to, I, I felt this transformation happening in my life. I knew that I needed to get the negative out of me. And God was doing that. He took away my habits and my hang-ups and my addictions. But it kind of left an emptiness unless I went to church. And then he started filling that with positive things. So as he removed the negative out of my life, he started filling it with positive and I was not just an empty vessel who had conquered drugs and alcohol. I was now a filled vessel with the Holy Spirit who was able to deny those things. Listen to me. Denying is not walking away from it. Denying is not just turning away from those things. Denying is to deny it. What does he mean by when he says to deny ungodliness? If you're not in your Bible, if you are too busy to study the Word of God, if you're too busy to go to church, if you're too busy to pray, listen to me, that is ungodliness. If you're too busy for the things of God in this world, that is ungodliness and Paul says, deny it. Don't just turn away from it. Deny it. Put it down. Hate it. Rule over it. Deny it out of your life. Read your Bible. That's godly. 
Study the Word. That's godly. Go to church. That's godly. If you're not doing those things, then you are ungodly. Amen? Paul says, deny that ungodliness. We shouldn't be too busy for that. He also says that we should deny the worldly desires. What does he mean by that, worldly desires? That means the lust of the flesh. He lists those in other places in Scripture, the lust that my flesh has. These are worldly desires. Well, what are they, preacher? Well, they can be power, they can be status, they can be wealth, they can be greed, they can be all self-centered type of living. Whenever grace comes into a man, it causes the man who's chasing money to conquer his greed. Amen? That's what grace does. Whenever grace comes into a man, it causes him to turn away. Uh, from, when it comes into a proud man, it causes him to turn away from his ambitions in life. Whenever grace comes into an idle man, it causes this man to become a diligent man. That's what grace does. It teaches us these things. It's not just to leave these lusts behind, it's to deny these lusts. The Bible teaches, what does light have to do with darkness? What does a believer have to do with an unbeliever? What do we have to do with idols? Nothing. Amen? So grace teaches us to deny them because we are no longer in this world. Deny these ungodliness, and worldly desires. Then in verse 12, it goes on to tell us something else. It tells us to live sensibly. So we go from denying to living. I like that better. It's easier to live than to deny. I know I need to deny these things. Put them down. Get away from them. Hate them. But I also need to live. And so Paul helps me. He says, live sensibly. Your Bible, as I said, may say soberly. It's really nothing to do with alcohol, okay? It means to have a clear head, to make good decisions, to be wise in what you do with godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. We are to live in this world. You know, it would be so much easier if God would just save us and then take us at the same moment. Wouldn't that be great? We just got saved and we go right into heaven. But for some reason, he's seen fit to leave us here. And I'm glad that he did, because if he would have saved the two men that came to my house to tell me about Jesus, if he would have saved them and took them, uh-oh, nobody would have came to tell Clay and Gail about Jesus. But that's what he does. He saves us and leaves us. Why? Because we are on the battlefield of the souls of men. You are in the army of Christ. You are a soldier in the front lines of the battle for the souls of men. If you are a Christian today and you are not concerned about the souls of people, you need to take a gut check, my friend. You need to understand that's the only reason you're here is because of the souls of men that are lost and undone and need rescuing, and need a Savior. That's why God leaves us behind. That's what our purpose is, is to live sensibly while we are in that battle of this world. Jesus said to you and I as Christians, we are the light of the world. 
Amen? So let's start living like that. God's grace is meant to be on display. That is you. You are God's grace revealed to this world. And you cannot escape that calling. You can hide from it, but you cannot escape it, my friend. So you might as well surrender to it and start telling people about Jesus. Because that's why you're here. To live sensibly. Amen? Now, we talk about soberly uh, in, other script- in other translations. But what does it mean? Well, the Bible says that no drunkards, no revilers, no fornicators, no adulterers will enter into the kingdom of God. So when he tells me that I need to live sensibly, there are some things that I need to restrain from doing. Amen? As a Christian, I need to stop doing some things that I used to do before I became a believer. That's where God's grace comes in. He's not asking you to go cold turkey with it. He's asking you to let Him help you. Let Him pull that desire that sexual addiction away from you. Let him pull that drug addiction. Let him pull that alcohol, that gambling addiction. Let God pull those things out of your life, one at a time. And he'll take those and he'll put them away. Now he's asking you to live sensibly and restrain and deny those things. Because that's what God's people do. They restrain from evil to do good. Look around, he says, and estimate things calmly. The only thing that should fill you today is not booze, it's not drugs, it's not addictions. The only thing that should fill you today is the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the only thing that should fill a believer today. And when this filling happens, you don't need to restrain anything Because He does all of it for you. He is operating in you and for you and with you. All the other influences of this world you must guard against. The only one you need not worry about is the Holy Spirit. Live sensibly in this world. He goes on to say we need to live righteously again in verse 12. Live sensibly, righteously. What does he mean by that? Dishonesty and falsehood and misrepresentation and cunning and craftiness are all opposites of godliness. God said of the snake in the tree in the Garden of Eden that he was the craftiest beast in the garden that God had made. If you're getting around in your business, men or women... As a Christian and you're being crafty, you're being wrong. You you should be wise. You should be prudent. Don't be crafty. Don't sneak and deceit and cheat, especially on your taxes. (laughs) Just bite the bullet, pay the tax, and move on. You know what? God's not dependent on taking care of you about how much money you save on your taxes. Did you know that? He wants you to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And God takes care of the rest. Do not be crafty. He says to live righteously. The last one he says is for us to live godly. Every man with grace needs to think upon the things of God. God should be the chief end of you. God's glory should be the chief end of you. You should bring glory to God in everything that you do. 
God should guide your conversation. God should guide your calculations. God should strengthen you. And that is his confidence. That's what he does. So he goes, and Paul teaches us this morning, grace saves us. Grace teaches us to deny wrong, live righteously, look, look in verse 13, look for the appearing of Jesus Christ. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that's one of the only places in Scripture that Paul calls Jesus God? I know Sam liked that one, right? He gets me every Sunday, what's God's name? I say, Jesus. And that's it. And that's what Paul says right here. He is our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in other places, Paul will separate him from the Father because that's just how Jesus was a man and God. But here, Paul puts him together as God because that's exactly who he is. Who was hanging on that cross? God himself was hanging on that cross to pay for your sin. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Now, uh, God gave himself... uh, And we should look for that appearing because he's coming. But the last thing I want you to see is that he gave himself. 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. God gave himself. You know, in the church we talk about the cross a lot, don't we? We talk about the cross of Christ. We talk about the blood that was shed to cover our sin, to pay for our sin. That, that blood simply represents the death that Jesus experienced to pay for your sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. Jesus stepped in and he paid with his death by the shedding of his blood the sin debt that you and I had. So we talk about the cross, we talk about the blood, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about the burial. We talk about the ascension, and all those things are wrapped up in what Jesus accomplished for us. But not too often do we talk about Him, Self, His Self. Not too often do we talk about what He did for you and for me. Here was a Man, Philippians tells us he was God. He came from heaven and humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. Now, why did he have to take the form of a servant? Because God is spirit, right? God is spirit, and no one sees God. No one can see God because they would perish the moment they saw him because of his holiness and his brilliance. But Jesus came from that place, And took the form of a servant, you and I, our form. And it says he humbled himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Philippians tells us that. So this God became man and gave himself for you. You know, when I first became a Christian, I I, I didn't really... Uh, I didn't put a lot of time in deciphering that. I just knew that Jesus was born and he was, grew up and he died on the cross and he paid for my sin. I never 
spent a lot of time thinking about where he came from and why he did that. Did you know the Bible teaches that you are the apple of his eye? It says that in the Psalms. You are the apple of it. What does that mean for us? When you say that to one of your grandkids or one of your children, that means they have the number one place in your heart. They are the apple of your eye. They are everything that you want. Now, the more kids you have, the more apples in your eye you have, right? But the idea is that it is important to understand what you mean to him. He created you. He said of Jeremiah, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, God knew you. And he loved you. He loved you supremely. And all of the history of mankind had to be wrapped up in that moment where this God who made us and loved us came to rescue us. Why did he have to do it like that? Why couldn't somebody else do that? It's because it was the only way it could work. There was no one, no one worthy to get on that cross other than God himself. In all other religions, in all other governments and religions of the world, the leaders want you to die for them. You go to war for me, I'll take care of your family. You do this for me, you do that for me. It's all about the king. But only in biblical Christianity did the king die for his people. And that's you. And how you can refuse that, I do not know. I did for 34 years until I realized and woke up one day and my stable foundation of life was crumbling and I was fixing to fall in the pit. And for the first time I heard God call my name. And you know, it wasn't because he was God and because he was almighty and because he was all powerful. It wasn't because of any of that that I turned around and looked, it was because he said he loved me. And I said to him, no, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've become. And he said, yes, I do. I know everything about you, Clay. I know everything. And I still love you. And so, when I heard that, it was the love of God that caused me to turn around. It wasn't the fear. It wasn't that I was scared he was going to squish me. It wasn't that I didn't match up. It wasn't that I didn't belong. It was because he said he loved me. I knew my wife loved me. I knew my grandma loved me. My grandma loved me right under God's love, okay? But when I heard God say that, and I experienced it for myself, there is no love like the love of God. And I turned to him, and you know what he did? He rescued me. He saved my soul. 
And he put me on a firm foundation, not over here on the edge of the precipice. He put me high and above, seated in the heavenly places right by his son, Jesus Christ. And now I have an anchor for my soul. Oh, I still live and I make mistakes and I worry just like the rest of you. But I have an anchor that I hold on to. And that anchor is Jesus Christ. And I know that he saved me. And I know that I'm his and I know that he's mine. And nobody can take that away from me. Just like many of this, you in this room have experienced, but some of you have not yet. Think about it. Think about it. He's given you the grace to save you. Now he's given you the grace to help you along in that Christian life, and he wants to restore you. Today can be the beginning for you. The Bible says that you have to come just like you are. You can't straighten yourself up. Well, I know I tried it. I tried to straighten up and go to church and do right. I was good for about a week, <laughs> but I couldn't maintain it. I couldn't keep it. Why? Because it's not in us. We're sinners. We're sinners. We need saving. Here's God's answer for you today. I challenge you, would you come? Nathaniel, come up and lead us in a song. Let's all stand together and bow our heads and and I'll get uh, Lois and Emily just to play silently and the rest of the band. And uh, let me pray. We'll just remain with our heads bowed. Perhaps Nathaniel might sing us a verse of the song. But let's pray right now. Father, we just come before you. And today is a great day, God, that you have given your word to all men in this room. And I pray, Father, that ladies, men, and boys, and girls would all walk out of here knowing that they are yours. And Father, I pray if there are some that aren't sure, they would fix that today, right now in this invitation song. They would come to me, we would go privately somewhere, and Lord, we would just uh, pray to you and talk and read your word. And Father, just save hearts today. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.